Good morning, Christ Church. I, um, I did something the other day and I caught myself doing it. It's not the first time I did it, but I caught myself in the act of doing it and realized what I had done. And I'm wondering if any of you have ever done this. I was driving along and uh, had a podcast on and I was thinking, um, this podcast is just speaking too slow. So I, I reached down and I, I pushed the, a button to speed it up. I went to one and a half times the speed of normal talking. And uh, I don't know if anyone else does that, listens to podcasts or audiobooks, one and a half speed and maybe two times. I'm seeing some thumbs up and gesturing to other people. So you, you know, you don't have to call yourselves out, but there are other people who do this. And I did it and I wondered to myself, why am I listening to this faster? What is wrong with me that I need this information so much quicker that I want it one and a half times, five minutes faster delivered to me before I arrived to where I was going? I had this picture in my mind of, do you remember uh, those old Norman Rockwell Saturday Evening Post? I just kind of imagined uh, a scene with a family gathered around the, like, the radio dial that everyone used to listen to those radio programs. And I could imagine the kids leaning in like, turn it to one and a half. We want to hear the program faster. Like, this is kind of insistence of I want to get it done quicker, and it kind of had me wondering, um, why was I doing that? I started reflecting on it a little bit more, and, and I started thinking in reference to this sermon, if I had to sum up Austinites in one word, there are many different words we might use to say, what does it mean to live in Austin? But I want to submit one word that I think begins to sum us up, and the word might be hurried. We're people on the go. People rush to people busy. We get from place to place, activity to activity. In order to get there, we get there as quick as we can, wherever we're going, complain about the traffic on our way there, get to where we're going, and then wish that we'd gotten there a little bit faster, wish we could have done it a little bit. We feel a little bit hurried, a little bit busy, a little bit rushed everywhere we're going. It's in the air we breathe in Austin. I think that that pervades not just Austin. I think that's probably just a, a word for maybe 2024 North America where we're living at. We live hurried, busy, rushed. I remember when I was 24 and I was still in this testing out phase of am, am I being called into vocational ministry? I was reading a book written by a pastor, Eugene Peterson. And he said if he ever got a piece of mail addressed to the busy pastor, he said it instantly went into the wastebasket. It was the quickest thing that he would throw away. It was if anyone was addressed, anything addressed to the busy pastor. He said, why do I want someone encouraging the worst in me? Pastors, we're supposed to work hard, but if you're too busy to linger in conversation with parishioners... If you don't have the, the way of cultivating a life soaked in Scripture, if you don't have rhythmic prayer built into your life, the, the, the idea of a busy pastor, it's like an oxymoron. He said, you might as well go to an embezzling banker. It, it, just, it doesn't make sense when you think that's not what we're after. He went on to write, I want to be an unbusy pastor. And by that, he meant not that he didn't work hard. In fact, if you know a little bit about uh, Eugene Peterson, who's a very hard worker, up early, uh, was working on his doctorate while also planting a church, raising a family, translated all the scriptures from the original languages into English. But he didn't want to be dictated. He didn't want to live at the mercy of busyness, at the mercy of hurry. And that's what I want us to talk about today, about hurry, busyness, and its connection to our hearts. And we're going through this 
long study through the Gospel of Matthew right now. We're going chapter by chapter, scene by scene, and already so many different themes are starting to emerge, themes of what does it mean to follow Jesus or taking up our our cross to follow him. Today, Jesus tells us to take up something else, to take up his yoke and to follow him. And he starts to describe what it feels like for those who do. He says, it'll feel a little bit different. This is what my way of life feels like. It'll feel light and easy. There's a a different cadence to my way of life, to practicing my way, which is what we're going to be talking about today. And we're going to set that side by side with hurry, kind of start to ask the question, where does this sense of hurry in our hearts come from? This is one of the most famous of all of Jesus' teachings. I'm sure many of you, if you've, uh, you've maybe read it before, you've maybe heard it a little bit, maybe you've seen it on a card. It's, it's one that gets used everywhere because it, it speaks to the gentleness of Jesus. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And just to point out a couple of quick things as we get into the sermon today, first of all, this invitation is so wide. Come to me, who? All of you who are weary and burdened. It's a very wide invitation. Sometimes when we think about rest uh, in history, that is maybe a commodity afforded only if you are wealthy and you have disposable income, then you get rest. But listen to what Jesus is saying. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Another way you might say that, if come to me all of you who are struggling and overworked, who feels that in any kind of way? This is an invitation to the masses. Throughout all of history, Jesus has been inviting all peoples, rich, poor, everyone in between, to him to receive this kind of rest. He's speaking this day when he gives this announcement, he gives this invitation. He's speaking to fishermen and to carpenters, which you might call blue-collar workers. He's speaking to tax collectors, uh, to uh, accountants. Um, white-collar workers, this is an invitation, a wide invitation to everyone. Come to me. That's the first thing we notice. Second thing, it comes with a promise. And I promise you, I will give you rest. So the promise. It is prophetically against the culture and the lifestyle of hurry, of busyness, of movement, of project-to-project-to-project lifestyle. And if there's anything in the that is countercultural in the life of Jesus, you might say it's his pace of life. Slower, walking, never traveling more than 100 miles in his whole life. In fact, this reflection on the pace of Jesus walking, that God comes down to earth and spends his whole life in the flesh walking from place to place, that reflection has led Japanese theologian Kosuke Kuyama to write, love has a speed. Did you know there's a miles per hour for love? Love goes at a certain speed. And do you know what the speed is? It's about the speed of the Son of God walking, about three miles an hour, about as fast as a normal person walks. Love has this speed of of moving. When Jesus is in flesh, walking around, he's moving at a slower pace than we often move at. So there's an invitation with the promise and a way of life of rest. What we're talking about today actually is gonna feel challenging in many ways because we live in a culture where we're so, we imbibe work and productivity and efficiency so much, it, it actually is difficult to get outside the bubble and look to see what Jesus is inviting us to. But he's inviting us to a way of life that is different. And it will look different than what we're often accustomed to. So, and here's a question, if this is what Jesus offers us, 
then why do we hurry? And why do we feel like we must hurry to get from place to place and project to project and thing to thing and people to people? Why do we feel like we have to go faster? Why do I listen to a podcast at one and a half speed? I want people talking faster. What is, what is driving the hurry? And I want to submit to you that hurry is actually a heart issue. It's a symptom of something going on in our hearts. We're going to look at this. And as we look at it, you know, there's always in Christianity uh, what you might call the inward journey and the outward journey. And the way it works is we invite God deeper and deeper into our lives, this inward journey into the very core of our being, our will, our heart. And as he does that and begins to transform us in inner reformation, we live giving ourselves further and further out to journey outward. And it works both ways. The, the more we give ourselves outwardly, giving ourselves away, the more we discover our deep need of his inner presence, his inner healing, this journey inward, journey outwards. Today, we're going to focus almost exclusively on a journey inwards, inviting the presence of God into a heart that is racked with hurry. And we're going to look at where this hurry comes from. We're going to start in Genesis 3, the curse. That's where everything goes wrong. We're going to... We're going to start in Genesis 3 with the curse, the fall of humanity. God has made a perfect world, good humans, and something goes amiss early on. Adam and Eve have disobeyed God. They've eaten from this apple, and God is saying, as a result of you doing this, here's what's going to happen, speaking to different members. And then he says to Adam, he said, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It'll produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field, and by the sweat of your brow... You will eat your food until you return to the ground. And God's original intent was for the, the humans to be guardians, to be caretakers, to be protectors there in creation. There, there was going to be a mutual reciprocity of care and attention and cultivation. And as they sowed seeds into the ground, that the, the land would produce what had been sown. But with the fall, there comes thorns and thistles. Sometimes sowing the seed doesn't actually meet the return that we would expect. And if you've ever experienced work where you've worked really hard for something, you've attempted to do something with your hands, you've led out on something, or there's been a project and it has come back not as you intended, that is an effect of thorns and thistles. This work that doesn't actually uh, produce in the way that we thought. But look at this phrase right here, the sweat of your brow. We often think this phrase, the sweat of your brow, means you're working really, really hard, like you're exerting a lot of energy. But I think God always made us to exert energy and to sweat. So this is something interesting. This is Sandra Richter in her introductory book to the Old Testament points out. I'm going to read a long quote here. She writes, most people read the phrase, by the sweat of your face, as having to do with difficult physical labor. But this phrase is actually an old, ancient, Near Eastern idiom having nothing to do with hard work. Rather, this idiom speaks of anxiety, perspiration-inducing fear. Where does anxiety fit into God's curse upon us? What we find in Genesis 3 is that because of the rebellion of the earth and the expulsion of Adam and Eve from God's presence, humanity now lives their lives in an adversarial world with a constant, gnawing undercurrent of dread that there won't be enough that their labor will not meet the need. What if the crops fail? What if the livestock die? What if there's a fire, a storm, or drought? She writes, can you relate? What about the groceries this week? Rent, mortgage, car payment, college tuition, retirement. What if I get sick? What if my kids get sick? And then she writes autobiographically, I am a citizen of the richest nation of the world. I have a secure position at a well-endowed seminary, and still I worry, and so do you. And this is the curse of Adam. 
limited resources, an insecure future, and a world that no longer responds to my command. Why do we hurry? Do you see the connection here? Hurry is a spiritual condition. It's an outward expression of a heart, an inner world that is spinning, that is fragmented, that is not at peace. Just like a cough is a sign that you're sick. It's not the sickness itself. It's showing you that you're sick. Hurry is showing us that something is going on in the heart that is not right. We're afraid that we won't have enough, afraid we won't be cared for, afraid we'll be rejected if we don't accomplish the work. And so we hurry and become busy and move from activity to activity to try and protect ourselves where we feel weak. But get this, hurry reveals fear. Hurry reveals fear in your heart, and so you are moving quickly to try and protect an image or secure something for yourself, but it reveals an inner fear. Another name for hurry is restlessness, an inner discontentment, a lack of peace that comes from being addicted to activity. Sometimes we we go from activity to activity without even stopping to pause what's going on, just needing to feel in continuous motion. Trying to paste over the greatest fear sometimes is the fear of being alone with yourself. You keep yourself moving. This is the air we breathe in Austin, and we use words like busy, moving from activity to activity, meaning no time for others, as synonyms for success. Or we describe successful people as they're productive and efficient. She's very productive. She's always busy. She keeps a full calendar. But there's a danger here because when your identity obviously becomes wrapped in production and speed and effort, you have to constantly justify yourself by producing more. And there will come a day when you can't produce more. It's actually why burnout continues to happen. Burnout isn't is a result of hard work. Burnout is a result of placing your identity in the, the lie that you'll be accepted if you keep doing more. And you do that until you wear yourself out. A deeper problem, when we put success and hurriedness go together, it's that there's no time to love your neighbor. Because rushed, hurried busyness doesn't move at the same speed as love. For instance, someone who perhaps is living homeless on the street is very time available, but a busy person rushing from activity to activity can't enter relationship. Someone with an intellectual disability might move at a different speed, and there's no time for the speed of rushed busyness to sync up with another person's speed. This is not the Jesus way. I mentioned Eugene Peterson a moment ago said he wanted to be an unbusy pastor, but he wasn't the first one to talk like this. 17th century Jesuit Vincent de Paul, I'll put this quote up on the screen, he wrote, the one who hurries delays the things of God. Hold on to that. You're trying really hard to do something for God. God, I have an idea, and I'm going to do something for you, and I'm moving so fast. I'm moving faster than the speed of love. You're delaying the work of God. The one who hurries, delays the things of God. More contemporary, John Mark Comer has written, love, joy, and peace are at the heart of all Jesus is trying to grow in the soil of your life. What does God want for you? He wants to form you into a person filled with love, with joy, with peace, brimming with joy, the joy of God that you're able to communicate to other people. And yet, because you're in a hurry, that's being missed. All three are incompatible with hurry. You cannot be hurried and be at peace. 
This is where this curse, the sweat of your brow comes from, how we experience this today, anxiety that I'm not going to have enough. And by the way, this is a theme, this theme of anxiety through uh, the gospel of Matthew. And a couple of weeks ago, Father Cliff took a deep dive onto anxiety and he even separated it from like clinical anxiety versus this kind of worry of the heart that I'm describing now. And it's worth going back and listening to as a compliment to this message. But God has always given his people a way to resist this hurry, to push against it. So we go to our first reading in Deuteronomy, and we learn about this gift of Sabbath. This is Deuteronomy 5, and I'm going to read a little bit. This is the start of the Ten Commandments. This is how the Ten Commandments, it's like the, the opener to the Ten Commandments, and then the Sabbath one. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Opener, introduction. Now for the Sabbath commandment. Remember you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. So all the commandments, all the Ten Commandments for the people of Israel, the people of God, begin with remembering who God is. It starts with the identity of God, this gift of Sabbath. Remember, I'm the one who brought you out of... Y'all, you didn't bring yourselves out. You did not make it to this desert on your own. I brought you out. You remember the Red Sea. I brought you out. And because of that, when you were in Egypt, you remember you worked every single day. And you had to justify yourself by going out, gathering the bricks, producing. That was the only way to justify yourself. Not so with me. I rescued you, and I give you Sabbath to practice because I'm a different master than Pharaoh. The gift of Sabbath is rooted in relationship with God. Sabbath isn't about, it's not about work-life balance, okay? Not what we're talking about. It's not just about self-care, like I just need a little bit more Sabbath in my life and maybe a moisturizer, right? It's not. (laughs) This command was given to a poor pilgrim people in the desert. Sabbath is rooted in relationship to God, trust in him. Because you were enslaved, because you had to produce for Pharaoh, come under me. And I am different. I'm a different king, a different master. It's identity language. In our gospel passage today in Matthew 11, think about Jesus' identity language. Do you remember what he says? He says, I'm gentle and humble in heart. I'm not the other taskmasters. I'm not the Pharisees, the other religious masters who are loading you up with rules. I am gentle and humble if you will find me, if you will follow me. Therefore, enter relationship with me. You could imagine Jesus saying, Don't you, don't you little ones see? I'm the one, I'm the God who steps down to walk with you. I'm the God who will give my body on a cross. I'm the God who will be raised again. I'm the God who will put my spirit in you. You don't have to worry. There's nothing outside of my control. In your life right now, nothing is outside of my control. So follow me. Come to me. It's kind of the identity language I I hear in my mind. Sabbath. Sabbath is a God-given practice where we push back against hurry. It's a formation practice. And you might, there's a number of you uh, that, that might already practice Sabbath in some ways. For others of you, you might wonder, well, how do you practice this, this way of being with time? And there are a number of books you could look up on this. I want to give you just four verbs. If you can remember these four verbs, you can kind of design a practice of Sabbath around these four. Here's the four. Stop, rest, worship, and wonder. Stop, rest, worship, wonder. And as just maybe an entry point, let me describe a little bit of this and how this might look. Stop. Stop from working. Stop your emails. Put away the phone. Put away the computer. Put away whatever else you're working on, the journal. Stop. 
which is hard. That's the first one, stop. And then rest. Second thing that happens in Sabbath is there is a rest. There's a gift of the body. For me, I often think nap. (laughs) Take a nap. And that actually might be one of the most holy things you do in a day, to fall asleep and recognize you're not in control of the world. Gravity's still on when you're asleep. The world is still spinning even without you. By the way, I'm an amazing napper. I don't know if anyone else is are anyone else good at napping, but I have the ability, I can fall asleep, not in my house, in other people's homes, in other people's cars, in, and there, you know, people can take pictures. I'm very good at this, which leads me to believe I'm a holy person because of how well I'm able to do this. And I often tell my wife, I just say, like, hun, if you want me to, I, I can get close to God right now. It's quite easy. But you think about it like this. I say this about napping. I'm being silly, but you think about this. You are a creature. You're not the creator, and you were made. Do you know if God wanted more of your help, he could have made it that you didn't have to sleep? For like one-third of your life, you're oblivious to the fact that God's ruling the world, and that was his design. He didn't really need you for as much of the time as we think he needs us. He wants us. He always wants us. It's always invitation. All right, one more little thing on on napping, and um, the big phrase here. Uh, when I, I don't always think about this when I'm taking a nap, but I was reflecting on naps and I just thought, embodied prophetic witness. Embodied prophetic witness of a nap. And here's why because when you're napping, you're not consuming, you're not giving into workaholism, you're simply being a little creature in the world. Something powerful about that. Okay, go on to the third one worship, which makes the maybe the most sense. Um, of what you'd be doing. Worship, though, especially in in regard to Sabbath, like let it be playfully delightful. Light candles. um, Have liturgy. Maybe you've got roommates and pray out loud with your roommates. And it might even feel a little challenging at first because that's not the normal way you talk. But go through a liturgy together where you pray out loud or just spontaneously pray out loud. Maybe pull out the Bible and just not a reading plan, but just open it up to wherever and say, "I'm, I'm spending kind of 30 minutes just like soaked in here just entering into the story of Scripture. And then wonder. We take wonder in God's creation, which is as simple as maybe sitting outside at a coffee shop or on a porch, taking a hike, or maybe wonder in another person, another creation, having tea or coffee with someone else, and just in wonder of who this person is God has made. Let me give you a little practicality how this looks uh, in our family. We do this on Friday evenings to about Saturday afternoons or so, and we don't hit 100%, maybe somewhere between two-thirds and three-fourths of our Fridays. And it's a shared practice where we sometimes will order in a pizza or we'll make uh, little pizzas of our own, or we'll just, we'll start off by trying something that's fun for the whole family that the kids can get in on, like crepes. Last week, we were making crepes, and we found out my wife is a very good crepe maker, and I am not. And so she got put on crepe duty, and we're doing other things. We have um, candles lit, and we say some prayers together. We're launched into Sabbath. On Saturday, we try to keep technology away, at least until noon. And so for me, that means deleting apps on my iPhone, having to reinstall them every Saturday evening, but deleting them, hiding my phone, hiding my computer, putting them in a desk in a different room out of the way. This reminds us again, we are not the creator and the sustainer of the world. You're not indispensable even to your problems. It's a spiritual activity of trust to enter into Sabbath. You know, there's many other ways you can dip into this. This is what it looks like for us. But one of the ways you might think of Sabbath is think of Sabbath as a trellis. 
for your life to grow up. It's giving structure for you to engage in trust. But the structure of Sabbath alone is not enough to push worry out of the heart. It gives you something to grow up around, but it doesn't get to the fear in the heart. Am I protected? Am I safe? Does someone have my back? Because that's the reason we're hurrying around. Which brings us to Matthew 11, and Jesus has promised that he gives us rest. It's interesting, we're talking about Sabbath, because if you read just beyond Matthew 11, you read into Matthew 12, the Pharisees become very agitated with Jesus and his disciples because they're picking some heads of wheat on the Sabbath, and they they get all fussy because the disciples are breaking the rules of how you're supposed to keep Sabbath, and Jesus blasts them, and he says, you guys have missed the point. The point is, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Like, I, the Lord, the King of the Sabbath is here. I desire your mercy. You're, like, you're, you're, you're keeping all the right rules, but you're missing the heart of this. So Sabbath has to be more than just, again, a, a dedicated time. And this is where Jesus offers something deeper. He says, take up my yoke. Take up my yoke. It's an interesting phrase. Metaphorically, it means, uh, this was a common phrase among rabbis in those days, take up my way of teaching. So you think of the Sermon on the Mount, that we're going to take up this teaching. Take up my, my power. Jesus has uh, done 10 miracles since the Sermon on the Mount till right now. Take up my, this way of life that I'm having. But he's really getting at take up how I live in total. The things I'm teaching, the power that you're seeing that I'm going to give to you in my spirit, and the way that I'm moving in the world, the way of being that I am, take it all up. And he says all that is, all that is true. But there's another metaphor for being yoked, and um, this was interesting. I, I totally, I'm not a farmer, so I totally missed this one. One commentary pointed out the basic function of a yoke, do you know what it is? It's to join two beings together. So think about it like this. Jesus saying, be joined to me. Take up union with me. Let me be joined to you. Come to me. I can't force myself to you. Come to me and be joined to me. I like the way Eugene Peterson translate this, translates this in the message. And listen to the join to Jesus lang- language here. He says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. You are invited into the unbusy way of Jesus, to walk with him, to work with him, to keep company with him, to be with him. This is the only power, if you can entrust to him, this is the only power that can displace fear. Because only in being joined to him, him who loves you so much to die for you, and to come back, only in being joined to him do you find a power greater than the fear that causes you to hurry to protect yourself. No matter how many years you've been a follower of Jesus, this is an everyday invitation. Jesus says, come to me in the the present ongoing tense. It's an everyday invitation to come to him. And this is true for all of us who, for any amount of time you follow Jesus, you know there are continued places of your heart where you continue to feel um, rushed or fearful and therefore rushing in life. 
And think about it this way. When is the last time, when is the last time that you lived out of kind of a hurried heart? Do you remember, like, if you can think of a time in your mind, maybe it was a time you were rushing through traffic to try and get to an appointment on time, or you were a student studying for some exams uh, at a particular time, or maybe you had a lot of work projects piling up, but as soon as you, you know, you got to the office or you got to the school or something like that, you talked to another human, what came out of you in that moment? Was it, was it joy and life and peace, or did you find yourself uh, raising your voice or becoming agitated with the person you were talking to out of this kind of hurriedness that you were living in? Or maybe instead of going that direction, you went smaller, you retreated into yourself, you gave cold shoulder and just withdrew away from whoever was around you. My guess is, if you think about the times you lived out of a hurriedness, out of a hurried life, you aren't pleased with the person you are in those moments. In that moment, driven by inner fear, coming out as hurried anxiety, and the invitation is, be yoked to Jesus in that moment. Not just in your best moments where you feel like I can control how I'm living my life. In those moments where fear is starting to grip you, be yoked to Jesus. Be joined to him. Invite him there. And here's what he invites you to do, to cast your fear, your worry, your anxiety to him. And to say, I trust you to carry this, which is beyond me. Invited to the unbusy way of Jesus. And as I close, I just... We've mainly been talking about this inward journey, but you see how this works outwardly as well. Because when you're the type of person who lives with such peace, such contentment, even in those moments of uh, fear, not knowing, am I going to get recover from this illness that I have, or, or th- you know, am I going to have financial means be met, even when you can live in peace in those most difficult moments, there's a power that pervades through you. There's a light that shines through you. It becomes obvious to everyone around you that person has something that I want. You know, most of the people that I talk to who become followers of Jesus in later life, it's not that they are usually argued into the faith. Usually, in fact, apologetics become, after they become a Christian, looking at apologetics to reinforce their faith, but they go, they become Christian because they see something attractive. Here is a person living in peace. And I don't see that in the frenetic pace of Austin. Here's a person who has a a presence about them that no matter what is happening, it's not that they're unaffected by grief, it's not they're unaffected by sorrow, but there is a deep contentment. And that just stands out in marked contrast to everyone I know. Here is a Christian leader, a business leader, who doesn't demand their employees more, more, more production, but recognizes the rhythm of just bodily life needing rest and offers that to them. The Jesus way of life is the most attractive way to live, and it's often different than what our society tells us we ought to be doing to be successful. So it'll feel challenging, and it'll feel difficult, but it's also the unbusy way of life that is the most joy-filled, peaceful, loving way that there is, and we know it is because we trust this master. Let's pray together. Kind Father, our little hearts feel so weak sometimes to trust, and so it's a funny thing to pray for, but would you help us to trust you more? Would you help us to be joined to you, to be yoked to you, and in those moments where we are hurried to feel the fear that we have, to be able to turn over to you our cares and our concerns. God, give us the gift of faith. We know you love us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.